Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And Connor, we have three big issues to address in this episode of Too Many Lawyers. Number one, should doctors avoid the issue of a patient's weight to avoid fat shaming. Hmm. Some body positivity people are saying, hey, if you're a few uh, pounds overweight, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. And you should tell your doctor, I don't want to be weighed at my physical exam. It's gotten to that point. Number two. Can't wait. Should prosecutors stand down and do nothing regarding Donald Trump because we're in the magic 60-day period before an election? There's this unwritten rule that the federal government is not supposed to do stuff you know, right before an election. Well, unwritten rules it. out there serving yeah. us real well these I days. Think Jim Comey maybe didn't read the unwritten rule yeah. when like four or five days before Hillary uh, lost to Donald yeah. Trump. He came out and said, oh, my God, I'm reopening the, uh, email, the investigation. email investigation because Anthony Weiner's you know, porn hub stuff is on a, a website right, right. and who knows what's there right oh sorry nothing to see here folks like, Re- actually turn no to your homes deal. and vote if you want to vote so we're going to talk about that oh deadline number three um, my view is and you may disagree connor i don't know but i think we should stop talking I about crooked politicians disagree. read donald trump yeah and instead start talking about the issues And at the uh, end of the episode, as always, America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict. I will give Connor the real-life facts of a case, and he gets to guess the outcome. And if he guesses right, then he gets a big bell. I missed last week's episode. But you were happy about it. But I was happy because it meant that the the guy got off. uh, Justice uh, prevailed. Yeah, absolutely. Justice prevailed, in my view. Um, but uh, the, the Texas uh, appellate court uh, back then they, uh, they they pleasantly surprised me. So let's see if let's see if America's famous favorite game show can pleasantly surprise me again. And just to give you a little tease here, it's uh, the case of the killer pop tart. Case of the killer pop. This one's less likely to surprise me with uh, justice. Uh, I think this one might be slightly more trivial, uh, but not beneath me. Nothing. Not, not according to the me. plaintiff. It's not trivial. Sure. All right. Let's uh, get to a couple of uh, <clears throat> human interest items before we get to the uh, three big topics. Um, this is an update, Connor. We always love to advance the stories we talk about. This mm-hmm, is an update mm-hmm. on my uh, argument that we should be convicting uh, Gavin Newsom. Um, 
the slick back uh, uh, governor of California. Sure. Uh, we should convict him on political perjury. Oh, charges. nice. Now, I'm the first <laughs> to admit that politicians lie all the time. Well, no, there's no such thing as political oh, perjury. Oh, I see. I, yes. I, I kind of yeah. made that up. But the fact is, he was fibbing bigly uh, a month or so ago when he said, I have absolutely no interest in the presidency. Meanwhile, he's just the Benjamins are flowing out of his campaign mm -hmm. uh, to, to pay for Florida cable TV ads nice. attacking his likely opponent in 2024, DeSantis, yeah. Ron DeSantis. At least it was his likely opponent then before um, the uh, the president rose from the ashes and like a like a phoenix and... Uh, Anyway, uh, flabby Phoenix. Yeah. So um, here's here's the here's the advancement uh, on the story. Um, we have um, uh, Gavin Newsom is changing his tune about major issues. You know, he's always been very progressive and very very woke. You know, yeah. He's the leader of the, the gang of wokeness in California. But Love it. Not so much now, Connor, because huh. he and his um, advisors are sitting around the French laundry yeah. with no masks, right. not socially distancing. They're right in each other's face. Yeah, like in each other, probably. And they're saying to each other, uh, ixnay on the oak way, we mm -hmm. can't come across this way because when we're running in Kansas and Georgia and all those other places, we got to be less woke. Now, here of course, is what Georgia is pretty... Uh, pretty uh, blue these days. But, yeah, that's but true. I hear you. That's I hear true. You. So here are the things that Gavin Newsom is doing. He is pushing to extend operations at the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. He's mm -hmm. reversing an agreement environmental groups pushed six years ago to shut down California's last remaining nuclear power plant. He pushed uh, through this uh, $1.4 billion loan for PG&E to keep it running through 2030. He says this is critical to avoid rolling blackouts during heat waves. Rolling blackouts are not good for a politician. Not good for your poll numbers, no. E exactly right. No. So secondly... Well, I mean, first off, let's mm -hmm. say nuclear power, very complicated issue, very uh, thorny political issue. It's hard to say that he's, you know, walking back wokeness uh, when he's talking about... Oh, no, no, it was easy. About, I just said it. <laughs> when he's talking about promoting or extending the life of nuclear power. There are a lot of people out there, myself included, uh, who are very, very filthy, commie, liberal uh, left... Uh, who believe that a nuclear power uh, can be very safely managed and is a safer, more environmentally friendly oh, good. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. method of, of power creation, even though it is not a renewable energy source. It's a lot better when all of the sort of pollution is containable, uh, you know, in, on one site and manageable instead of being, you know, pumped out into the air by our individual devices mm -hmm. like cars and uh, our coal-powered fire coal-fired power plants and all that. So so that might be might be an example of, of pull, well, pulling back I can back see your point, but I'm not willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, okay, okay. That's number one. That's Shall one. we go to That's number one. two? Yes. Number two, mm -hmm. he has a plan for court-ordered treatment, mandatory treatment for the homeless who are struggling with mental illness and addiction, and civil rights organizations are not happy about Yeah, this. I'm going to have a tougher time defending the uh, further criminalization of uh, homelessness in California. I, that one, that one's going to be a tough, bitter Pill Mr. Moderate, Connor. Gavin Newsom, yeah. running for president. And third and finally, oh, you're going to like this one, Connor. Legislation was passed by the California legislature in its wisdom to have supervised drug injection sites yeah. in pilot program yeah, cities. Yeah, that's great. Really good. SB 57, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Oakland. Mm -hmm. I don't know, what are addicts in Fresno chopped liver? Why don't they get <laughs> sites where they can safely inject, you know, take needle drugs? But it's just the three You're cities. right. That's true. And guess who vetoed it? Because he didn't want, in his presidential campaign, yeah. the Republicans to be able to say, Gavin Newsom, look at this yeah. drug injection 
Russian side. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. That is another. That's a great example of how he's clearly gearing up. For oh, a the GOP run. will crucify me in 2024. Just oh, Im- Just imagine the political ad against him. Gavin Newsom set up opium dens in San Francisco <laughs> where people can shoot up any drug they want at taxpayer expense. Yeah. I'm Nikki Haley, and I approve this message. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's it's, what they're looking at. And it's at. amazing, and it's, and it's tragic that there's not a major political party, or even, frankly, a, a serious minor political party that anyone can name that understands the positive benefits of something like safe injection sites, that actually advocates for, for uh, drug users. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, our society is full of drug users. I'm high on a drug right now. I won't tell the— Reality. The, You're high on reality. Yeah, I won't <laughs> tell the listeners what it is. But it, it's caffeine. I mean, come on. It starts it, with C and it ends in E. Yeah. And it's this, not Coke. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Yeah, you're right. That's dangerous. Uh, but I mean, this we all we all are drug users. Uh, we, we should all be understanding of people who use these substances, especially in the worst opioid crisis in, in not just our country's history, but the world's crisis, uh, the world's history. I mean, uh, forget the opium wars uh, of hundreds or, uh, and hundreds of years ago. We live in a terrible, terrible time uh, for drug users who are marginalized, criminalized, and pushed to the outskirts of society. Uh, and their overdose deaths in fantastically high numbers uh, are ignored, overlooked, or even people look down on them and say, look, they deserve it for for the fact that they break the rules of society that say you're not supposed to abuse drugs after, you know, chronic pain uh, destroys your life or or homelessness makes, you know, n- nothing else, life not seem worth living uh, or whatever else. And and we, we look at these people and we push them to the fringes of society. And safe injection sites are, frankly, the absolute bare minimum you can do. Th- these are not, you know, massive expenditures in, uh, you know, re-educating people on new career paths uh, and, and, you know, retraining them for the workforce and giving them housing and giving them, you know, actual health care. This is just a nurse at a site that makes sure that you don't OD. And if you do OD, then there's somebody around to call the cops or god forbid the cops a a paramedic to you know make sure to administer narcan and stop ods at supervised injection sites in this country which is a very common thing now they're all over not just in you know the woke liberal states or whatever they're all over the country and they're saving lives they're saving thousands of lives no one has ever overdosed and died at a supervised injection sites meanwhile people are out there uh, overdosing and dying in the, by the thousands every day. Yeah, but of course Gavin Newsom isn't going to have to defend No, he's not. Defend and that. it's a damn shame. And now here we get to the advancing of the story part, because I was saying that Newsom, for saying he's not interested in becoming president... Oh, yeah, of course not. Uh, ...belongs in political perjury prison. Well, now his advisors will be sharing a cell with him, because you know what his advisors said when confronted by the press with the fact that, oh, he's really going centrist? They said, oh, um, well, in fact... Uh, Some of his decisions are less motivated by politics than a reflection of the confidence he feels to govern in a more nuanced way. That's what they said. Uh, Now, politicians. I I happen to have a a BS alarm here, and let's just turn Mm it on. Okay. How obvious can it be that that they're lying, he's lying? It's terrible. And it's such a shame because as we see from the recent success of Joe Biden and the incredible grassroots support of people like Bernie Sanders and the squad and, you know, AOC and and all these other progressive uh, politicians, not Biden, but the, the progressive politicians and even not even progressive politicians, but simply politicians who go out there and are proudly liberal and push 
policies that make the world a better place and make their constituents happier and healthier, they get support. They are the ones whose names are on our lips and who we're actually talking about. Nobody's out there talking about, oh, man, I really love how well Joe Manchin uh, or Kristen, uh, Kirsten Cinema uh, are doing these days. They're really getting a lot done, question mark? Like, what have they—, they uh, Finally, we, we all, they allowed us to get a single law through Congress. Thank the Lord. That's not— that's not, you know, kicking butt and becoming president. Joe Manchin's not going to become president. He's not. Kirsten Zinnem is not going to become president. They're not. It, it, there are all these, you know, politicians out there who are living middling lives of, you know... Um, quiet desperation? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, quiet desperation and mediocrity because they tow the corporate line. And it is only the ones who break out of that shell that actually get grassroots support. And I think it's silly, and I think uh, Newsom is misguided if he is constantly listening to these centrist status quo enablers uh, who are out here telling him, oh, uh, sprint towards the middle. It's going to be a primary, bro. You've got a primary Joe Biden who's going to be riding the wave of the Inflation Reduction Act and whatever else he accomplishes, the student debt relief plan. What are you going to get up there on the stage against Joe Biden and say, good job, Joe, on that, on that student debt? No, you're going to have to get up there and say, I want more. I want you to, to forgive it all. I want you to, you know, uh, I want to change America for the better and make them more like this place that we have built, California. So you got to make California better. You can't just forget about it, sweep the problems under the rug, and then hope that the liberals uh, who are out there, you know, the, the mainstream are out there are suddenly going to become more inspired by you than they are by a sitting president. It's not going to happen. So uh, the final human interest item uh, I want to lay Oh, God, on we're here. already on the human interest. Uh, we're only on the human interest items. Yeah, well, we haven't even, got, through the roof. haven't even gotten to the number one topic. <laughs> and you tell them a drug user over here? I'll just slow down. Remember last week, I was slow down. I know. Our listeners want to slow, slower <laughs> talking. So here's, here's the deal. Um, if you're on trial, Connor, mm-hmm. for your life, possible, I life, often am. possible life sentence, a judge here in Los Angeles has just decided that you're really entitled to a good night's sleep. Hey, that ain't bad. So here's the deal. His name is Vamaze Banks. The he's judge? 24. No, he's the, he's the defendant. Okay. He's charged with three counts of robbery and one count of assault with a firearm and making criminal threats. Sure. He was in the third day of his trial when his lawyer uh, <clears throat> pointed out to the judge, you know, Your Honor, my client has not basically slept during the trial. Um, they, the, the cops did not give him a, a bed or a blanket. There's no explanation as to why this was, but in the, in the men's central jail... Uh, and uh, he, he's not getting these things. And plus, they get him up at 3 a.m. because they bus him all the way from the jail uh, out to Long Beach. And so oh the, judge, the, the defense lawyer said, look, you know, part of a trial, whether it's criminal or civil, is your client is sitting there. He has to be in a position to work with me, the trial lawyer, yeah. and react and have comments and so on. And guess what? The judge said, I, I agree with you. I'm declaring a mistrial. Yeah. And he dismissed the case. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that, that at least is a recognition of criminal defendants' humanity, which is a massive step up from the uh, the way that, you know, the judicial system chews up and spits out defendants so often in the criminal justice system, criminal legal system. I mean, it's not... It is not the case that uh, the the defendant simply sits there, as you pointed out, and fills a chair while the characters on Law and Order talk. If you're testifying, <laughs> uh, oh my God, you're testifying. That's the, it's probably the most important moment of the entire trial. And if you're not testifying, you've got to be there next to your lawyer saying that's not true. This is how we should deal with it. This is these are the, this is what I know about the case. And and represent you're helping represent yourself. Uh, your lawyer is simply you know going through the motions of the of the legal system and guiding you through it. You 
you are making the decisions. You are making strategic decisions. You are making you know personal decisions about you know what you're going whether you're going to take deals or no deals. Uh, whether you're going to you know try, hear who's going to testify and what you're interpreting what they say and then just coming up with what the facts are to counter what this witness who misunderstood something uh, or missaw something said. You are the most important person in that room, not your lawyer. Although your lawyer is the one who gets to talk to the jury more often, they're your mouthpiece. And and good lord. I missed two hours of sleep. I am messed up for two days. I can't, I can't possibly imagine not sleeping for 72 hours straight straight effectively. Uh, I mean, sleep deprivation is torture. It, and yes, the criminal defendants are treated awfully throughout the system. And thank goodness somebody at least recognized it, even in one situation. That's pretty good. I'll take that. All right. When we come back, should doctors avoid the issue of a patient's weight to avoid fat shaming? Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. Oh, first, though, Connor is going to tell you how to uh, rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you prefer. That's probably Apple Podcasts, but it could be any of them. Um, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Podcast Addict, uh, any of them uh, that you like. And uh, while you're there, or if you go to a new one, click the join or subscribe button or follow button, depending on the platform, and leave us a comment there. You can review us, give us five stars. You can leave a comment. I love Connor. He's the best. You should slow down and not talk so fast. Whatever you want to say, go with the Connor's the best, but it's up to you. It's up to you. We'll be right back. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Laura Lopes. And I'm Connor Oates. So, should doctors avoid the issue of a patient's weight to avoid fat shaming? Now, I announced last week, Connor, that I'm all for Bill Maher as president of the United States. Yes, and I shuddered. Only uh, honest politician. Well, he's not a politician, but if he were, he he, would be. He's the only honest guy out there because everybody on the left and the right, they're all lying through their teeth, like Gavin Newsom. Sure. And Bill Maher is not lying. When you hear what he says on Club Random or Real Time, what you see is what you get. And I told you after we recorded that pod, we were talking about it, and, and and we didn't say it on air. But yeah, of course, I would take Bill Maher over any mainstream Republican candidate. Over absolutely, Mickey Haley over any MAGA, oh, or okay. frankly, even any non-MAGA Republican. Of and, course, I would take. Bill and the Maher reason because I you mentioned, gotta go with the lesser of two evils, and, and he is the lesser of those evils. And the reason I mention it is because if you're a Bill Maher fan, you know he is really big on the issue of obesity. He just thinks that America has just totally gone off the rails, and uh, you know it's an incredible health issue. Everything from cancer, diabetes, etc. So Bill Maher is not going to uh, agree with this organization that we're going to talk about here. Uh, they have prepared little cards, little business cards that you can give to your doctor. Uh, the organization is called More-Love.org, and they make cards titled "Don't Talk About My Child's Weight." 
And so the card, uh, they're available in English, French, and Spanish. I don't know why French. I just picked those uh, languages. Well, but, North American languages, yeah. yeah. So instead of a patient saying to the doctor, hey, I really don't want to be weighed, apparently right. they're worried that patients will be shot. Well, it's very difficult and confrontational. It's hard uh, to say to a medical professional, like, I want you to not It's not like know, professional this. wrestling. This is your kindly, friendly Dr. Marcus Welby family doctor. And shouldn't yet, be confrontational. And yet, when you're, you know, when we go to the doctor, we discover sometimes that it's more confrontational for people who have of marginalized identities or who are overweight or uh, who are women or whatever other group. Uh, it is more confrontational and complicated well, and especially. It may be confrontational, but it's your life that's at stake. And these people are so concerned about fat shaming that they, you know, they don't want the patients to be weighed which to me, it's nutty. It's like going to the dentist and saying, don't x-ray my teeth or don't look in my mouth for cavities. You were there for expert medical advice. Yes. You can ignore it if you want, but you might as well get it. You're paying for it. You're in the doctor's office. I mean, I mean, going to the doctor, they say, is triggering. Are they serious? Doctors know what to do to save lives and prolong no, they're, lives. They're dead serious. They're, they're absolutely dead serious because in reality, the truth is, yeah, there are two truths here that are in our hands and we can weigh them against and next to one another. One, obesity is a risk factor for a bunch of diseases that can harm or kill you. Absolutely. No argument there. And on the other, the stigma around obesity also hurts people and does not improve obesity. It is not the case that a doctor saying you should lose weight leads to people losing weight. There are ways to lose weight. Well, that's Some just of a reflection them. of the fact that people ignore doctor's advice. No, but it's, it's not the really. The doctor could say stop drinking too bottles of wine every night and right. that would be really good advice right. but people ignore it but stigma around obesity and around addiction is a great example to compare it to say drug or alcohol addiction or you know whatever other drug addiction it's a good example that say you're an addict who does not want to go to the doctor because if you go to the doctor and you say doctor i got this pain in my abdomen or i got persistent headaches or whatever and i, I want you to check it out and you're honest with that doctor, and you say, oh, yeah, I drink uh, three liters of bourbon a day, and uh, I smoke 82 cigarettes. Uh, and you know what that doctor's going to do? Because you know what most doctors do? They say, forget all of your legitimate medical concerns. Forget your medical conditions. I don't care about any of that, because I'm going to go to the most easiest, the most simple, the most straightforward thing I could possibly say, which is stop doing the thing that you're addicted to uh -huh. or that controls your life and change it dramatically and everything else in your or life might will probably some help that. like here's an aa number or you know, whatever might. their issue they, is they might but the stigma around uh, obesity is a lot like the stigma around drug use and alcohol use and those actually lead to uh eating disorders obesity and eating disorders very often coexist in the same people people binge eat because they've binge dieted, because they've you know refused themselves food, their willpower breaks down, they overeat. People don't have who don't have healthy eating habits can, as you put it, be triggered absolutely by being berated or lectured or insulted, purposefully or unintentionally, by their doctors. And maybe not every overweight person needs this business card. But if you're going to a doctor for any of the many legitimate medical concerns that you have, and you go to the doctor and you say, "Hey, doc, um, 
I'd like help getting pregnant because it's been difficult for me and my partner. Or you go in and you say, hey, doc, I've got headaches, you know, six hours a day, and I think I maybe have a brain tumor. If you give them, it can give them, and you're not, you know, a doctor, you're not a super high educated person who knows exactly all the fancy medical terms, you don't understand the stigma and all this stuff, but you are comforted by the fact that you, there's an organization out there that understands and listens to you and says, yeah, Doctors are obsessed with weight because it's the most easiest and most obvious thing about a patient when they walk in the door. It's so easy to categorize that person, prejudge that person, and say, boom, all I got to give you is the advice that you got to lose weight and everything else will feel better. Well, guess what? Lots of people are healthy and and happy at lots of weights. And being insulted or insinuation of insult or berated or whatever about their weight while they're at the doctor's office may not help them. In fact, it may exacerbate it. I hear what you're saying, but I think when you think of but from a macro standpoint, in terms of all of society, I mean, doctors generally are going to know much better than the patients oh, what they should be doing for their good health. And That's I, a good I, point. I, I'll, I'll, let me cite one mm-hmm. study. There's a study of, of, of overweight individuals in, in the U.S. that found that 53% of them reported receiving inappropriate comments from doctors about their weight and that healthcare professionals... Uh, when rated by you know researchers, believe that overweight patients are less compliant with advice about weight loss than they are. They be- doctors believe I'm going to tell this person that they should lose weight, and you know what? So they're what's gonna an example me. of an inappropriate comment by a doctor? Well, I don't have a, a, a I, list. I, I can't. Of them. I don't know either. I mean, I I guess he could be a little too strident. Or, he could say, "Hey, yeah. Tubby, you're 600 pounds. Yeah, you're killing maybe, yourself. Maybe, or, maybe you wouldn't be diplomatic. Or maybe the vast majority of people going in for medical care aren't actually there to get advice about their weight. Maybe the vast majority of obese people are aware that they are obese and that they should change their diet and exercise patterns. They they are aware of the lifestyle changes they would like to make. Maybe they're in the process of making well, them. And maybe going into the doctor and, and saying, hey, I need my birth control updated. Or, hey, I've got an orthopedic injury to my knee. Or, hey, I, you know, uh, my vision is bad. Whatever thing it, you're in there for is derailed, distracted from, and disrupted by them saying, by the way, aren't you fat? Well, hey, why don't you just go out and but you eat can, a piece you of can, fruit, you Tubby? You can cover two topics. I mean, if you go in because you have a, a kind of a nagging cough that won't go sure. away, and the doctor says, Hey, you know, you have a malignant boil on your butt. Yeah. It's going to kill you in yeah. three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be glad that he volunteered it. I, I guess what it come down to is I'm reacting to the COVID era. Yeah. It seems so wrong to me that people would be making COVID decisions. Should I get a vaccine? Should I get a booster? Should I socially distance? And instead of doing what their doctor said, they do what their favorite politician said. And that, I think, probably led to many, many deaths. And yeah, doctors should be counseled on being diplomatic, but to to put to, to weigh, on the one hand, possibly life-saving advice, as opposed to, the on the other hand, well, they're going to hurt the person's feeling, it's going to trigger them, and so on. I mean, I would err on the side of hopefully saving the person's life or but, really helping their lifestyle. But this isn't, this isn't this group that uh, that we're referencing with the business cards, they're not disregarding the advice of, of professionals. They are actually reflecting the research that is being done out there where doctors are looking around saying, oh my gosh, stigma, uh, stigma around obese people actually hurts them. It makes them less likely to go to the doctor at all. So they die of Heart, uh, cancer and other preventable issues. I'd be surprised if they, that's quantifiable, that, that the harm to a person's health 
is greater from the stigma, and I'm going to stay away from the doctor, as opposed to people whose lives have been saved by good medical advice. Well, but but I don't have the it's, statistics. It's easy for us to say, oh, logically, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says you're too heavy and you should lose weight, it's logically easy for us to think that would lead to people losing weight. But we see, borne out in the facts, that it's not true. So what is the point of a person who's smart and aware enough of their own obesity to know that they need a business card that says, hey, don't talk to me about my weight. That's not why I'm here. If that person it obviously is aware of their weight and their health, and they're tuned in to some degree to you know the, the, the status of their body that they live in every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If they're smart and with it and aware enough of their body to do that and bring that business card in, they clearly don't need the stigma coming from a doctor who says, by the way, you're fat. I know. I that's just why, think, not why I'm here. Connor, I just think of uh, the Carpenters. Uh-huh. Karen Carpenter and her brother, Mr. Carpenter, I don't sure, recall his first matter. name. One He's of the, the most popular singing duos in American 20th century history. Poor Karen died of anorexia. And I think that if Karen had gone to the doctor and the doctor had talked some sense to her, I mean, you know, she died because of an eating disorder, not because a doctor weighed her. Well, maybe she had an eating disorder because of the stigma against overweight women in show business, and she was obsessed with being thin. I'm sure there's a show business bio we can consult to get the answer to that Maybe it'd be happy she would have been led, uh, led a happier, healthier, longer life and not had an eating disorder if the whole world had not been telling her, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight her whole life. So maybe these doctors should stop telling people to lose weight. I don't know. I think maybe she should have taken the advice. But, you know, again, I haven't read the show business bio. So, uh, well, well, I guess we'll have to We'll look into it and get back to the (laughs) the listener. So left is an exercise to the listener. Next week. Hey, uh, when we come back, should uh, prosecutors stand down on looking into a Trump indictment uh, because the midterms are around the corner? Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Stick with us on This is Will Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And this is Too Many Lawyers, and uh, kind of an interesting question, Connor. There's an unwritten rule. That no one follows. Nobody follows. Well, Jim Comey didn't follow it. But there's an unwritten rule in the federal government uh, saying the Justice Department really shouldn't take overt actions that could improperly influence a vote coming up. And they've kind of established sort of a 60-day period. So we're coming up on just about exactly 60 days before the midterms in November this year. And so some people are saying, you know, it's been really interesting to see all the progress the Department of Justice has been making and the January 6th investigations are going forward. Who knows whether he'll be indicted for financial crimes by the Manhattan DA or inciting riot by the Washington, D.C. prosecutor or, or trying to uh, steal the Georgia election by the Atlanta prosecutor. but Or rape by New York. So the DOJ is now faced with the question of what to do about Trump if, if they're inclined to indict with the midterms coming up. And, of course, 
you know, if people do think back to the Jim Comey situation where within you know, a week or so, about a week before the November uh, 2016 election where Trump beat Hillary Clinton, out comes Jim Comey saying, hey, you know, I promised to get back to you if there was new development on that email server crisis or, or scandal with Hillary. And guess what? There is a development. Uh, there's some really fishy stuff on Anthony Weiner's laptop. So doggone it, I'm going to look into it. And blammo, she goes into the toilet. A few days later, he says, <laughs> nothing to see here, folks. Yeah. Return to your homes. Yeah. And so that was an example of violating that. But I mean, given the fact that the Biden administration is going to be seen as uh, you know, self-dealing, uh, it's just for their political purposes, no matter what they do, do you think they ought to wait until after the midterms, now that we're on the brink of them uh, about two months away, uh, before they actually put the hammer down and indict one Donald J. Trump? I think that... We need to do away with these unwritten rules that are designed by people who consider themselves to be above politics when they are not. The idea that you can just put off uh, an investigation until after an election so as to avoid the appearance of impropriety in this circumstance, of you avoiding that appearance of impropriety is you taking it upon yourself to protect yourself and your appearance instead of informing the public of the results of uh, the investigation that mm -hmm. you ought to be doing. This is an example of how uh, bureaucrats um, are politicians just like every other part of the government who has any sort of public facing and uh, is under any sort of public scrutiny um, and in doing their jobs. They are an expression of the power of the government to change the world around us. And that means that they are subject to our uh, opinions, our uh, uh, scrutiny, and our criticism. And they should go forward with their jobs uh, without delay and not think that they are better and smarter and above the idea of political influence. Now, does that mean that James Comey should have come out and run his mouth based on nothing <laughs> before, uh, immediately before an election. No. This was after his July running uh, on uh, in his mouth by saying, well, I've looked hard into the Hillary situation. I've decided, no, we're not going to indict her. Right. <laughs> Which normally they never would do. If they're yeah. not going to indict, they don't want to hold a press conference to say, oh, Al Capone's off the hook. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, this is, this is, that is an example of something that, I mean, if, if James Comey had really found some sort of smoking gun four days before an election, then he should have said, hey, guys, I've got a smoking gun. But he should not irresponsibly take it upon himself to run out and say, hey, guys, I've decided, decided to once again start looking for a smoking gun so that we can maybe indict this person for murder when he had no reason to believe that things were new or different or interesting. And he just, you know, shot from the hip. This is... This power that you have to make announcements to the public about politics and investigations of people who might want to be president specifically, but just of anybody really, is an enormous and fantastic amount of power. And you need to be the you know careful steward of that power. And an unwritten rule where you say, I refuse to do it at all within 20 days, 40 days, 60 days, four days, whatever, of an election is a silly black and white way to do it. You need to conduct your investigation on a timeline unaffected by uh, elections, 
put your information out there and trust that the American people, because you convey it accurately, will be able to interpret it. Yeah, Instead of pre-warning either that you're not going to or that you are going to investigate that something might happen at some point, which we have all put up with now for the entirety of the Trump presidency, pre-Trump presidency, throughout his presidency, of him saying it about his opponents, and now post-Trump in the, in the, in the Biden era, it's all we get is so we're going to indict Trump. We're about to is, indict Trump. The problem is we got some examples in history besides Comey that are really despicable. Let's go back to 1992, the sure. year that Bill Clinton won. Yes. And one of the reasons he won against an incumbent president, George H.W. Bush, is because four days before the November 1992 election, Casper mm-hmm. uh, Weinberger was re-indicted by the Department of Justice. He'd been indicted originally uh, several months earlier in June of 1992. Hmm. Excuse me, but the prosecutors chose to reindict him, even though there was no urgency for this. Four days for the for uh, before the election, and what did they do in that reindictment? They included some new allegations that tarnished George H. W. Bush, suggested that he knew all along about the Iran Contra deal, and Bush, who actually had a lot of momentum going for him at, in the last few weeks of the election, blamos, just like what happened to Hillary. He hit a brick wall because everybody started talking about, oh my God, that's right. Reagan didn't know what was going on, but George Bush did. So, you know, it's people, it's hardball politics. And, and prosecutors sometimes are, are handmaidens of the politicians. And it's really unfair. No, you're right. It absolutely is. And when people weaponize these uh, these investigations, they are undermining the idea that we can investigate politicians at all. It makes people so think that, so badly of uh, the the supposedly impartial portions of the the government um, that we start thinking of any and all sort of executive branch enforcement law enforcement um, as corrupt and at the the direction of the behest of Biden and that leads to or, sorry of the president and that leads to for example now Biden um, being you know unable to do anything uh, in connection with January sixth directly because. Uh, it would look improper. It would look like he was uh, uh, meddling. It would look like he was uh, trying to, you know, uh, paint his political opponents in a bad light ahead of the, the next election. When, in fact, the president may well have an important role in, say, preventing an insurrection uh, at the Capitol um, from ever happening again. And and that's a it's a it's a horrible state of affairs that we're in. But it's a state of affairs that is the result, I think, of creating this fake wall between uh, and, and trying to throw up our hands and saying, oh, I'm not political, uh, when we should know that all people in politics are political animals, all people in government are political animals. Even, you know, the billionaires out there who are donating uh, their billions uh, to foundations uh, to set up, you know, good works or whatever, they're political. They're changing the world. They're sculpting the world in the way that into the world that they want it to be. They're just doing it through a different path, a different uh, method. The personal is political. Uh, the, the, the economical is political. Uh, everything is political. And we should recognize that. And if you have some sort of unwritten rule, uh, you're just going to people are just going to use it and abuse it. Uh, and alternatively, they're going to use it when it stands to benefit them. And they're going to shame you for not uh, using it when it doesn't. And it's a it's a damn shame. There's one thing that is not political, Connor. No. And that's America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict. And that's where we are in the podcast right now. I frequently get political on America's favorite game show, but okay, I, uh, I hear you. All right. So um, I give the real-life facts of a case to Connor, and he guesses the outcome. And if he guesses right, he gets the big bell. Nice. We should have like, cash prizes instead of a stupid bell. But but that's where we hey, are. Hey, wait. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. We, we should. Why not? 
All right, so um, let's go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, shall we? All right. Christopher Lyons is in prison. He was convicted of uh, drug dealing there in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Not a zoo? He's doing his time. Prison. Uh, he's, in, he's in prison. His yeah. name's Lyon. Oh, yeah, Lyons, right. Rawr. Uh, I have two dirty jokes about lions that I can't tell because this is not an explicit uh, podcast. <laughs> if we get the label changed. Too many we... lawyers after dark <clears throat> comes out. Uh, it's a special <laughs> after separate dark. episode. That's right. Yeah. All right, so Christopher Lyons, he's doing his time, um, and he sues Kellogg's of Battle Creek, Michigan, the beloved food maker. Yeah, what a behemoth to go up against. Did yeah. they put uh, some, uh, just like a, a uh, nail in his soup? Yeah, well, you're, you're close. You're close. It has to do with the Pop-Tart. Oh. Uh, so he sues Kellogg's and Smucker's Jelly. Apparently sm- the Smucker's people uh, have some uh, input for Pop-Tarts. Oh, that makes sense. He, claim, he claims that when he was minding his own business at the Gray Bar Hotel, he bit into a Pop-Tart. I didn't know they served deluxe five-star restaurant food like Pop-Tarts in <laughs> prisons, but I guess they do. So he bit into the Pop-Tart, and a shard of glass injured his mouth, causing him emotional trauma and nightmares. Sure. He seeks $310,000 in damages, claiming he couldn't sleep for 72 hours straight due to fears and nightmares in which he was dead in a coffin in prison from eating Pop-Tarts. That's the nature of his lawsuit. Wow, what a dream. Actually, this is similar to our um, Guess the Verdict uh, show uh, or, or a story we talked about earlier about oh, yeah? the, the the guy who was in tri- on trial and he couldn't sleep couldn't because sleep, yeah. they wouldn't give him a bed or a blanket. Yeah, absolutely. Either one, but you know, I, they wouldn't even give him uh, a single. Yeah. All right, so that's the lawsuit by okay. Christopher Lyons. Uh, so how we do you think a... this lawsuit uh, against Kellogg's and Smucker's Jelly, with a name like Smucker's, yeah. it has to be good. Who who won this? Okay, you so give we... me a quizzical look. You've never heard that expression with a name like Smucker's? It has to be good. No. Oh yeah, it was that's a very, very popular commercial in the seventies. I'm not sure what about the name Smucker's actually sounds good uh, <laughs> to anyone, but whatever. Okay, look. There, there is such an instant inherent bias against criminal defendants. That is, people serving time in prison are you know lumped in the same category as criminal defendants. Uh, that when they go over to civil court and they try to bring lawsuits uh, against, say, the government for mistreating them in prison, or a petition for habeas corpus saying let me out of prison, uh, or uh, you know, petitions for mistrial and a retrial or whatever, they have so, the, the odds are so stacked against them, juries so dislike them, judges so dislike them, that I think it's almost always going to be a slam dunk good bet that on any given case, the guy who's in prison loses. Now, as we look at this situation, we see that he, you know, bit into a piece of glass uh, and claims emotional distress arising out of it. Uh, this is including be- nightmares, including nightmares. Uh, this is because he was, you know, when you're looking for when you, you, you're you're harmed in a, in a civil lawsuit um, and it's a tort. Somebody who's done something in this case, negligent is the negligence is the is the, the Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because a pop tart is kind of a tort. You could, Ooh, you're you know. absolutely right. It's mm-hmm. a good point. So, well, this might also actually be a products liability, which is slightly different, but right. still in the category of torts. Um you you have the general damages and you have the special damages and the special damages would be uh, how much uh, uh, like medical bills you incur and generally you incur a bunch of medical bills and then people end up calculating your your generals uh, damages your pain and suffering damages based on like a multiple of that because it's an easy fallback uh, but in this case and when somebody's in prison they're not paying for their own health care and they don't 
usually get a bill, um, as I understand it. Uh, and as a result, I could be wrong about that, actually. And as a result, this guy probably had no medical bills uh, from, resulting from this uh, egregious Pop-Tart full now, of glass. Now you're doing a good job of analyzing this, but to be fair, I have to tell you, it's kind of a trick question. Oh, my. And it has to do with civil procedure. And I can tell you that it's in federal court. The case is in federal court. So mm. maybe that helps you uh, zero in on the answer of whether um, uh, the case uh, went his way or maybe went against him. Now, with that little hint, uh, that's are an you ready for your question. Ready for a final answer? I think I am ready for a final answer. Okay. I think the answer uh, is uh, he loses, goes down in flames because uh, this is a. a uh, a state law issue if somebody uh, harms you, either products liability or or uh, a civil tort um, for uh, negligence, uh, you got to sue in state court for that, not federal. And actually, you're right, but not necessarily for that reason. Ah, you're right. I'll uh, take it. The uh, judge said, uh, you're in federal court, um, got to have $75,000 at stake, and I don't think legitimately you have $75,000 in wow. damages. Wow. But this does get into some interesting uh, inside baseball stuff that actually relates to a current case uh, involving Vanessa Bryant uh, sued because Kobe really? Bryant's helicopter went down. Yeah, yeah certainly. How does uh, it relate? Uh, well, here is a really bizarre thing. Um, Everybody was focused on this big trial of a few weeks ago where uh, Vanessa Bryant and her co-plaintiff, a fellow named uh, Chester, each won $15 million. The jury kind of blew it. They initially said $16 million for Vanessa, $15 million for the non-celebrity. And then it turned out they made a mistake. They meant to give the exact same amount to both sides, both plaintiffs. They just they filled just the jury filled form it out, out wrong. Yeah, so, so then the verdict judge, form is a piece of paper that the jury fills out. You fill in various blanks, uh, 15000 for this and $150 yeah. million for that. And so here's the, in, the here's the inside baseball angle. The lawsuit was filed by Vanessa and her co-plaintiff in state court, and it included an allegation of a federal constitutional violation, 14th Amendment, privacy, due process. Hmm. And so they wanted to add that because you get special goodies, attorney's fees, and so on. Yeah. So they had state law claims and federal law claims. Because there was a federal law claim, as you know, the defendant is allowed, assuming all, all of the criteria are satisfied, to move the case, remove it from state court to federal court, which is exactly what the defendant, the county of L.A., the fire department, and the cops, and the sheriff did. Yeah. At that point— A great opportunity for them to get a not-downtown Los Angeles uh, state jury. They, right. People like to remove to federal court because they'd like to get rid of the uh, sort of hometown uh, advantage that uh, one side might have, like, for example, being in the hometown of, uh, of Kobe Bryant. Now, this didn't exactly get them very far no, when they were moved literally to federal across court, the street, unfortunately. but there are advantages to being in federal court, including you have to have a unanimous jury verdict in federal Huge court, deal. as Huge opposed deal. to only nine out of 12 in state court. But here, now we come to the weird inside baseball angle. The federal judge has discretion to hear in his trials, Judge John Walter, not only the federal issue that uh, allowed the removal, but the state law claims and common law claims as well. Mm -hmm. This judge has a thing against hearing state law claims, and there were some state law claims in Vanessa Bryant's lawsuit. The judge actually severed two of the state law claims out before he presided over the federal trial so that now, theoretically, Vanessa and her co-plaintiff may have another trial in state court and go for another $30 million wow. because the state law claims were 
separated out. I don't really understand the efficiency there. I don't know why a federal judge would be allergic to hearing some state law claims. Yeah, but very the result frequently is, federal judges say, well, I'm just going to apply state law in this case instead of federal law. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it is, as weird as it sounds, all of the publicity and all the energy that went into this big trial, it ain't over. Oh, my goodness. Now, the likelihood is that there will be a settlement. The sheriff's department and the fire department probably doesn't want to be dragged through this a second time. Again. They probably don't even relish the idea of appealing the $30 million because they're probably going to lose. So it would make sense to just sit down and enter into a settlement agreement. Yeah, but probably true. Anyway, there's more to uh, than meets the eye in the Kobe Bryant case. All right. Well, congratulations, Connor. You got the right answer. That's yeah. all that really matters. Yeah, yeah. I, fa- I thought, as we were describing it, that we were talking federal question because he probably alleged like a 1942, uh, two, that's fe- federal code, 1942, which is a civil rights violation uh, for uh, for this, you know, for, you know, he's he's mistreated in prison. But now that I think about it, Kellogg's is not the state. So that makes a lot of sense that he'd have to reach the $75,000 uh, question. Although you generally in these cases just have to allege, uh, you know, any claim that you know could arise to pain and suffering of over seventy five thousand dollars, and then boom, you've got you've got uh, the jurisdictional requirement. But I guess this judge really was not a believer. Yeah. Really did not buy his uh, you know nightmares issue. I mean, I can see it. If you say if you living in prison and you say I had a horrible nightmare because I bit into a pop tart, and the horrible nightmare was I was trapped in a coffin in prison, the judge might well say, uh, it sounds like maybe you have a nightmare because you're in prison. So uh, let's finish off the episode uh, with something that bears repeating, Connor, in the words of the famous Mason Adams, who, with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. Oh, my God. Yeah, see you next week. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.